And I am so excited uh, for the next couple of series that we have prepared. And I hope that you're as excited. I know you're not as excited as I am because you have to do the listening, right? But I am excited because this year, as you know, we have been going through our theme for 2016 of Strong and Courageous. And we have used for that theme our verse of Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. Where the Lord told Joshua, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you, is with you wherever you go. And this whole year we've been kind of focusing in on there's several places in scripture where we learn and hear about God commanding his people to be strong and courageous. I wanted to spend the year, especially as we go through this time of transition and in leadership and and where we are as a congregation to remind us that no matter where we are, if we're walking with God, we have no reason to be afraid or discouraged. And so I hope that you are excited about our theme. We are starting a new series today, and that is uh, Reason to Rejoice. Our theme is, or our series rather, is called Strong Church. And we're going to look at seven keys to unlocking Christ's mighty church. And what we're really doing as we go through this, today's lesson and the next six weeks, is looking at specific one another verses in Scripture. Uh, how God called his people to be toward one another. Uh, sometimes I read about the church in the book of Acts. And uh, I love the book of Acts, but there are times that I read through it. And if I can just be real honest, there are times when I read about the church then. And I say, that, does, that looks so different from the church now. What is it that makes us different uh, than our forefathers in the faith? Uh, what is, where's the disconnect? I, I think we get a lot of things right, but they're, they're just something as you read through that early church in the first century, how they treated one another, how they loved one another, how they worshiped together in spirit and in truth. It is so powerful. And sometimes I feel like I miss that. Maybe you don't feel the same way. Maybe you do. But in this series, we are looking at what I think are the seven keys to getting more like the first church. To to being not just doctrinally correct, but to being discipling correct. To, To being the people who God has called us to be. Not just toward the world, but toward each other. And so we're going to look at today specifically at loving one another. Now, you may say that sounds pretty simplistic, uh, and indeed it may be, but I think it's the most important of the one another verses. Before I explain why, allow me to tell you a story. Can I make a, a second confession to you? My second confession is this. I've never really been much of a team player. I don't know why that is. I don't know if that's something ingrained in my DNA. But if I think back as to why I am the way that I am, I think I can pinpoint it to Mr. Ramsey's 7th grade American history class. Mr. Ramsey's 7th grade American history class there at Mulvane Junior High. And Mr. Ramsey was a guy who loved American history. 
I'm pretty sure he lived through the Civil War. I'm not... He, and as he would tell the stories of our history as a country, he would go through that day's lesson, and then he would do something that I absolutely hated. He would say, all right, class, I want you to divide up into teams and work together. Have you ever been here? You're on a team, three or four people, junior high kids, one person totally incompetent, could not tell American history from Chinese history. One person does not care at all about the class or their grade. And one person is just very happy to let me do the work. I hated working as a team because I knew that we all had to work together. And it, I just didn't like that. It didn't, it didn't suit me. I'm a bit of a lone ranger. I'm very happy just to go in and go do my work and get my job done and do my part as well as I can. But don't ask me to be on a team. I'm not sure if you're that way or not. But I think we kind of have this spectrum of extremes as to what type of person we are. Some of us are the Lone Ranger. We get the job done, but we don't need any help. I was looking for Joshua Oakley. Is he in here this morning? I see the Oakley family, but I don't see Joshua. Okay, well, I'm going to tell a story about Joshua, okay? Since he's gone, that's the perfect time to do it. It was about 10 years ago, and we were at family camp. And uh, during family camp, one of the great, one of the more interesting, I should say, parts of family camp is the variety show. You might call it the talent show, but that's untruthful. Um, and little Joshua, who's, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old, something like that, he gets up to lead a song. Now, I think it was Light the Fire. Uh, that was one of his favorites. Maybe it wasn't that song. But little six, seven-year-old, eight-year-old Josh gets up on stage, and he starts to sing this song. And he's, he's not quite there. He doesn't quite have the words, the rhythm, the tempo. And he starts to sing it. He's a little off. And the, the entire audience, being the supportive group that we are, we start to sing to help him, to, to help him remember the song. And so here we are, light the fire. And Joshua, in the middle of the song, says, no, 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 no. He makes us all stop. And he says this phrase, I don't need any help. Yeah, Josh, I'd say, is a bit of a lone ranger, or at least he was at that point. You know, sometimes we have that attitude in church. We come to church, and we dress real nice, we say the right things, we go to the Bible class, we do the things, but when it comes to being involved with everyone else, and when it comes to being vulnerable and, and letting our guard down, it's, no, 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 I don't need any uh, if I'm honest, I'm that way. I mean, the preacher, he's got to have his act together, right? He's got to know what's going on. He's got to have all the answers. Confession number three, I messed up too. So the more, as a church, we learn to identify when we're becoming more of a lone ranger, we understand that there's also this other extreme of a team player. The team player is... 
the person who is just very happy to do their small part. Don't ask them to get up front. Don't ask them to lead anything. They're more than happy to help, but they're a part of a team. You see this dynamic play out in many areas of life. You see marriages. You have a marriage where two people are effectively lone rangers. Uh, They're married on paper and legally and spiritually. They're in covenant. But they are two independent people living very separate lives. You see marriages that they are truly on a team. My grandparents, Ahoy and Gracia Levering, for 40 years they ran a hardware store. They got up in the morning together. They ate breakfast together. They went to work together. Opened the store, ran the store. Grandpa worked up front. Grandma ran the office. They worked together all day. They would lock up the store together. They would come home in the same vehicle. They would fix dinner together, have dinner together, spend the rest of the evening doing things that they enjoyed, and retire in the evening together. They spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week, doing marriage as a team. I think... Christy would want to kill me by breakfast. (laughs) You see work ethic this way. Some people just very happy to to go clock in at 8 in the morning and to clock out promptly at 4 just to do their part, to just just be that one little cog in a wheel, uh, not to make any waves, just come in, do their work, and leave. They don't want to aspire to anything more than that. They want to do that for 30 or 40 years. They want to retire, hopefully, with enough pension and a nest egg to survive on and retire. They just want to be part of the team. They don't want to lead the team. They don't want to go out on their own. And that's fine. Some people are more entrepreneurial in spirit. They would rather work 16 hours a day, seven days a week, than work eight hours a day, five days a week for anyone else. They would rather work 16 hours a day, seven days a week for themselves. That's okay too. But that's the Lone Ranger. You see this in marriages. You see this in families. You see this at places of work. And sometimes you even see this in churches. And guys, what we're going to do in this whole series is focus on one another because if I read Scripture carefully, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I am convinced that God intended us to do church as a team. And that's not easy to do, especially for us Lone Rangers. But God intended us to do... Now, with each end of the spectrum, there are problems. With the Lone Ranger, the problem is isolation. And and Lone Rangers see the word isolation, they say, no, no, isolation is good. I get my work done. I get get things handled when people just leave me alone. Turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 tells you the problem with Lone Rangers. It's very simply this. When God made his whole created world, and he creates man, and he has all of the animals and everything that we need... The first thing that he says is not good is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. He says it's not good for the man to be alone. And so I will create a helper for him, someone to help him. Now, if you think about this for just a minute, if God knew 
that it wasn't good for Adam to be by himself. Why didn't he just start out by making Adam and Eve? Why did he wait? And I think the truthful answer is, I think he wanted Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, to be in the story. To remind us that no matter how much of a lone ranger you are in your marriage, in your work, maybe even at church, God didn't design you to live in isolation. He didn't design you to live by yourself. You and I are wired to be in relationship with one another. Well, you say, well, then we need to go to the other extreme and be team players. There's just one problem, one tiny little problem with team players, and that is people. All of the problems that you're going to face this week at work, all of the problems, if you've started back to school yet, that you will face in this school year have to do with people. All of the problems that we face as a church have to do with people and the sin that we let in our lives. Most Sunday mornings, I will come up a little bit early and run through the sermon so that I make sure I have it all prepared edited, all of that. And most of the time, there's no one in here except for one sweet little lady, Rosalie Stevens. She's right back there. And her and Ernie always beat me up to the church in the morning, and they, Ernie's preparing the communion, and she's sitting diligently. Poor Rosalie has to hear the sermon from Toby two or three times. As I was preaching it, and I wrapped up and I went up, walked up, Rosalie said, it was a good sermon. I said, yeah, Rosalie, but you didn't respond. (laughs) See, that's the whole point. Preaching wouldn't be effective if I didn't have someone to listen, someone to act upon, someone to take the ancient words that are ever true and put them into practice in the modern world. You see, we got to do it together. It's not about Lone Rangers. It's about team players. And yes, people are messy. As Steve Tandy has said, uh, it would be easy if it wasn't for people. It would be easy if it weren't for people. That's true. But nothing much gets done if you don't have a good team. Well, God has a solution for the problem of people. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The answer... Is love. The answer, as as much as that seems squishy and warm and kind of hippie-esque, it's really true. The answer to people problems is love. And you know 1 Corinthians 13. I'm sure you've heard it. Maybe you have it at home on your wall somewhere. But there's a verse... In that entire chapter, verse 8, that says, love never fails. I am convinced of that. I believe that with all of my heart. That even in ministry, with all of the people problems that we have, if we can but show people God's genuine, consistent, authentic love. If we can show them the kind of agape love that Jesus called us to, we can overcome all the people problems we may have. Love is the keystone. 
Uh, we were on our vacation. We went to St. Louis. Or you go to St. Louis and you're there for a while. You have to go see the arch. How many of you have been to see the arch? Isn't it fantastic? I, I mean, engineers and artists alike can appreciate the arch. It, it is an architectural marvel. Something that they built 50 years ago. Stands 630 feet high. And, and if you didn't know, it's also the bases are equally 630 feet apart. When they built that, the tolerance between these two sides, as they built each side up together, could be less than an eighth of an inch difference between these two. They had to get, because what you don't want to happen is to get up here and have a foot of difference between the two. That's going to be a problem. Well, they built this thing, both with these cranes crawling up, and they got to the middle, and they prepared the final piece, the keystone. They had to use hydraulic jacks and, and pull the two sides back so that they could put the keystone in place. And as they fit it perfectly into place, the pieces came together, and they welded that keystone. It became as solid and as strong as it had ever been. You see, without the keystone, the arch is a very weak structure. It won't stand on its own. It isn't even an arch. Love is the keystone, not just in an arch. Love is the keystone within a church. It is the thing which holds all things together. Jesus said it in this way in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Someone asked him, teacher... What is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now pay attention if you're in Matthew chapter 22 and look at verse 40. Verse 40 says, this is what Jesus said, all the law and the prophets... Hang on these two commandments. If you love God, then the commands of God are not burdensome. Jesus would later say in John 15, verse 12, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. The Apostle John would say in his letter in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. You see, the church isn't outwardly motivated to love. We can't work ourselves up in an emotional frenzy. It's an internal, thoughtful decision to act and behave and love as Jesus called us to love. We love because we're lovable? No. Because we've done so many good things? Absolutely not. We love because he first loved us. So love is the keystone. We've got to start there. Secondly, love is the mark of disciples. And this is the proof. This is the acid test to show whether you are really a tried and true, died in the wool follower of Jesus. And you can say, well... I." If I ask you the question, how do you know that you're a Christian? You might say, well, I was baptized in such and such a date, or I follow the Bible. That's fine. But let me ask a different question. 
How does everyone else know that you're a Christian? How does everyone else know that you're a Christ follower? Jesus answered that question very clearly. He said, there's one thing. There is one thing you do that proves to the world, to everyone watching, that you are a disciple. And that is by loving one another. Jesus' first disciples were known by their followship. In other words, when you saw Jesus, you saw the 12 guys around him. And everywhere Jesus went, they were there following around. You know, if he went to this city, they went along with him. If he went there, they went there. The 12 guys who literally followed Jesus around were his disciples. But when Jesus left, how would we know who the disciples are? And Jesus said this. It's not about your followership. It's going to be now. About your fellowship. Take a look. John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this. If you, if you underline. If you're an underliner. Just underline those two words. By this. Everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, we focus on inward characteristics. I know I'm a disciple because I read my Bible. I know I'm a disciple because I was baptized. I know I'm a disciple because I go to church. But the world doesn't know that. The only way they know if you truly follow the risen Lord Jesus is if you love one another. By this. By what? By programs and ministries and missions? No, not at all. Those aren't bad things, but that's not how the world knows. By this. By the building that we go to once or twice a week? By the sign out by the road? No. By this. All men will know you are my disciples. If you love one another. That kind of love, it attracts people to Jesus and his church. It's why it's so important that we do more than just tolerate and put up with one another. We have to love one another because it's the proof that we really do love Jesus. It's the proof that we really do love God. A little quiz for you here. How many of you here this morning love God and love Jesus? Just raise your hand if you love God and you love Jesus. I'm looking for people who don't raise their hands. Okay. But, but if I can be honest with you, that's easy. If I can be honest with you, no one in the world just saw that, nor would they care. This is how they know if you love each other. So when you, as a class, take a meal to someone who's hurting or suffering, or you pass the hat for a little donation, or you give them a gift card, that matters more than you know. When you meet as a small group and you serve a group in the congregation, or you serve someone who is in need, that matters more than you know. When you do good... Not for goodness sake, but because you love one another. It matters more than you know. It mattered to an 11-year-old boy 
who didn't grow up going to church. And yet, that little boy wanted to be a part of a church because of the love that he saw in those Christians for one another. It wasn't the programs, oh, they were good. It wasn't the youth ministry, oh, it was good. It wasn't the worship, that was fine. It was their love for one another. That is what makes the world notice. And it matters more than you think it does. So love one another. By this, all men will know. Love, number three, is what makes a good church into a great church. 1 Corinthians 13, turn there. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said this. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. We can do good things. Many churches do. But it's only those churches who do good things with great motivation that are the great churches. They they grow from just doing good and being good to showing love. To saying, we do this because Jesus loved us. A good church may have all the preaching and teaching, faithfulness, charitableness, mission work, all of that. Paul even says a good church may even have martyrs. And yet, they don't have love. They miss the key part of it. How you do it? Well, Paul goes on to explain in verses 4 through 8. And I hope you'll read those this week because it's important what we do and how we do it really matter. They really make a difference. 1 John 4, verses 11 and 12, this is why it matters. Dear friends, John writes, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. When you do those good things, when you bring food to a grieving family or you sing songs at a wedding or a funeral, you help someone move or you stay after church to to talk with somebody who just needs an ear and a shoulder. When you introduce yourself to a guest who's sitting on your row, when you invite someone to your home, when you visit someone at the hospital, when you serve at CR, when you help with the women's conference, when you lead a small group, it's easy to do all of those things Because it's the right thing to do. And fail to do the right things because there's love in your heart. So let love motivate your actions. What you do matters. But why you do it, that matters even more. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, Paul wrote this. Let all you do be done in love. Let all you do be done in love. 
I show you a picture of two little girls, twins actually, born premature. Their names are Kyrie, um, so I have to look it up, Kyrie and Brielle. Kyrie and Brielle Jackson, born October 17, 1995. Now, life didn't start out good for them. They were born about 12 weeks early, I believe. They weighed only two pounds each. They were in their incubators, and Brielle, the little baby on the left, was not expected to live. There was a hospital nurse whose name was Gail Kasparian, and she fought and fought for those little babies. And in desperation, thinking what could she do, she tried something that had been very experimental. And you'll laugh because you think this is experimental. She said, I'm going to take, I'm going to take little Kyrie, I'm going to take her out of her incubator, and I'm going to take that two-pound-old little premature baby and place her in the incubator next to her sister. Now, that's radical medicine. Now, really, with, with premature babies, there's the worry about germs and infection and all sorts of bad stuff. But this nurse risked her license and her job based on a, an instinct, an instinct that love never fails. And the instant she put the little girl beside her sister... She reached around, and this this is the picture that you see of little Kyrie reaching her arm around little Brielle. And immediately the monitors began to calm down. Her her heart rate went down. Her breathing slowed. And and her stress, the, the, the nurses knew she was having as a little premature baby, began to stabilize. Her temperature rose to normal. Love matters. Not just because it can change lives, but because it can save a life. That's why for decades, Northside Youth Group has ended nearly every devotional, certainly camp and maybe retreat, with a, a tradition. If you were able to go down that teen wing and, and peek in to the teen room, the very last five minutes of most devotionals, you might hear something, you might see something like this. You might wonder if that really matters. But there's two new babies in Christ who need to have their arms around them to know that they're loved and that they're cared for and that Jesus loves them and that no matter what comes, they've got a family. They've got their brothers and sisters in Christ who care for them, who love them, and who will never let them go. That's why that song has been sung for the generation of the youth group, as far as I know. Because it reminds them not just of who they are in Christ, but that they have each other. As they hold a hand or they put a hand around a shoulder, what they're being reminded of is that they have a team that's working with them. And that's what church is all about. 
So this morning, we're going to sing that song again. And, and I want to ask you all to grab a hand, grab a shoulder, fill across the aisle, and let's sing one more time with the youth group this song. Stand up, and we'll sing together. with all your heart, because that's what we're going to be talking about the next six weeks, that we will stand together in love with one another. Now, this morning, I would be remiss if we didn't take this whole group and be reminded that there are those who are not yet a part, who may want to become a part. And if you want to become a part of a family that loves you, that prays for you, that lives for you, that believes in the power of one another, I want to call you to the front where one of our shepherds We'll be here to receive you. And if you want to put on Christ in baptism, if you are ready to become a member at Northside, whatever you wish to do, if you have a need, uh, please come. We're already standing, so we'll just sing it again. Let's sing it together.